0: to be a people that are unified and one thing I think that we know even through nature is that whenever we work together whenever we you know share the load with each other that we are able to do much more now uh, this is seen in nature as I said a while ago whenever you watch geese fly there is some really interesting things to to learn about geese whenever they fly when they fly have you all noticed the kind of formation that they are in when they are flying? During the V formation, and there's a reason why they do this. The, the lead goose, as he's flying, that is the, t- the toughest job as he's flying. Do you, you know why? It's because he's getting all the resistance in his face, but when he gets tired, he drops back, and another goose comes up front, and he leads the way, and as they are flapping their wings, it, it creates more and more rise, and so you know what geese are able to do? Like when they fly together, what do you think? They fly farther. You know how much further they fly? 71% further than if they were flying alone. Now, what do you think that means for the church? Can you you apply any of that for the church Whenever, whenever we are united, whenever we are working together? You know what that means for us? We are able to do more. We are able to achieve more when we work together as opposed to whenever we are just simply trying to do everything by ourselves. And that is the lesson, that is what we're going to see today in our passage of Scripture is that, that we are to be united as believers we are to work together because we live in a world that is constantly divided we live in a world where people are constantly just looking out for themselves and trying to do everything by themselves and guys the world needs to see the church united and the church working together because as we do that it is then that people will be able to see the power of the gospel And to see the power of the fact that when God invades your life, that it can change the world. And so today we're going to be looking in Philippians chapter 2, if you have your Bible and you want to to turn there, feel free to do that. So it's Philippians chapter 2, we're going to be looking in verse number 1. And so today in our passage of scripture, we're going to see the Apostle Paul sharing with us some of the great things that can come about whenever we are unified, whenever we are working together. Because when we stand together as believers, the world sees the power of God. Now, the backdrop to the book of Philippians is rather interesting. Paul sort of gets to the crux of the matter in chapters 3 and 4. And in chapters 3 and 4, what he talks about is he talks about what has weakened the church. And what had weakened the church was just infighting. The people weren't unified. And he he calls out a couple of ladies who were fighting in the church. says, you guys got to knock that off. It's a bad example for everybody else. And that's what happens whenever we are not unified. Whenever we're not working together, we're not looking out for each other, we become weak. And my desire for our church is to be a church that is strong and a church that looks out for one another and a church that is looking out for our community. And so you might say, well, well how are we to be unified? And I just very briefly today want to point out to you several different areas where we have been called to be unified. And you might have noticed in the music, there was a recurring theme over and over again. It was love. And one area where we are to be unified as a church and as believers is we are to be unified in our love. Now now look with me in the first two verses. It says, if then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by thinking the same way. Having the same love, sharing the same feelings, focusing on one goal. Now the Bible lets us know that a trademark of a person's life who has been touched by Jesus is love. I mean, you cannot say that your life has been touched by Jesus, and you just be a big honking jerk all the time, and you can't stand people. Jesus said, if you know me, he said, people will be able to tell because you'll love me and you'll love people. Jesus said in John 13, 35, he said, by this all men will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. It's unity. We're to love each other here. Uh, We're told in 1 John 4, verses 7 through 8, it says, Dear friends, let us love one another, because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Now, this is an important part right here. But the one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Now, I think we can all agree that, that love is an important feature in our faith. Wouldn't you say that? I mean, that's one thing Christians are being known for. We're supposed to be loving people. And, I, and I, I totally agree with that. But I think for some people, in particular guys, we get a little bit nervous when we say, we are to be people of love. I mean, that does not sound very masculine in a lot of ways. But here's, now, if, if that's you, and I totally get that, but let me say this, the kind of love that God calls for you and for me to have, it takes strength to love like God calls for us to love. You know, most of the New Testament was written in the Greek language. And the Greek language is obviously different than our language, but they have more than one word for love in the Greek language. They have four different words for it. Uh, There is a uh, phileo love, you know, know, Philadelphia. Y'all know what Philadelphia, y'all remember what that means? The city of... Brotherly love, so that's the kind of love that you can have. Brotherly love, and there is, um, there is eros love. That's where we get the word erotic love. Uh, it's the kind of love that's supposed to take place only between a husband and a wife. Uh, there's storge, was another kind of love that they mention. That's the kind of love that a parent is to have for his child. And then in our text, it's another word that's used. It is the word agape. Have you all heard of that word before? Okay, agape love. Now, that love, that means an unconditional love. It means loving someone, not expecting anything in return. Uh, This is the kind of love that God has for us and that God calls for us to have for people. God says, I want you to love people like this. Now, let me tell you something. That is not an easy, weak kind of love because there are a lot of people that are not easy to love. Would you agree with that? There are some people you might be saying, and I'm sitting right next to them. And I'm just, I mean, probably second service. But I'm sitting right next to them. They are not easy to love. God says you are to have a strong kind of love to where you will love them regardless. Now, now, Village Church, that is how we are to be united. We are to love each other. We are to love our community even whenever they are unlovable. You know why? Because that's the way God has loved us. God loved us not because we deserved it, not because it's something that we earned. He just simply chose to love us. And he loved us so much that he laid down his life for us. The Bible says in Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his own love towards us in this, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And I say, well, why do people need to be connected with God like that? Well, it's because we're broken. You notice that? I mean, people are broken. We're messed up. That's what sin does to us. And and the only way that we can experience healing from sin and and the, the junk in our life is through the forgiving love, the unconditional love that God has for people. And it's whenever God loves us like that that all of a sudden we have hope. And whenever we love people like that unconditionally, saying, I know that your background's rough, but you know I choose to serve you and love you anyway, it's then that we express the love of God to others. King David underst- understood this. He wrote in Psalm forty-one, fourteen: Have mercy on me, Lord. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. David sought the love of God because he knew that God's love was unconditional. He knew that God's love could heal him. And so what does that mean for us? Well, if you're a follower of Jesus means you are an ambassador, you are a representative of Jesus in this life. And if people are going to see Jesus in you and in me and in the life of this church, they need to see us being like God and loving people and reaching out to people and caring for people. And I say, well, that sounds really good, but there's some people that aren't that fun. And that achievement, let me tell you something, I, I understand that. You know, I struggle with that concept as well, and whenever I receive something really neat or cool, well, one of the things I don't naturally want to do is I don't naturally want to share it. You know, I want to keep it for myself. But you know, there's great joy that can come with you and me sharing and giving to others. Let me give you an example, and this is from... Uh, from sports, uh, David Robinson, if you know who he is, he's a great basketball player for the San Antonio Spurs back in the 90s and early 2000s. And when he played for the Spurs, I mean, he was, he was the man on the team. He was a, a, a uh, you know, a, a stat machine. He scored points, rebounded, won all kinds of awards, but his team never won the championship. And Sports Illustrated, they talked about how all that changed whenever in 1999 they drafted a guy named Tim Duncan, Uh, Tim Duncan came onto the team, and David Robinson began to have to share some of his playing time with Tim Duncan. He said, what not easy to do? Because he'd always been the star of the team. But he began to realize, if we are going to reach our ultimate goal, which is to win a championship, he said, I had to learn how to share. I had to learn how to give. what happened is they ended up winning a championship, the first one, because David Robinson allowed himself to be diminished so so that somebody else could step up. And he said, it was strange. He said, I'll be honest. He said, as he was holding that trophy at the end of the year, he said, I remember looking at him thinking, you know, every time we've come to the end of the year, I've always been the guy holding the trophy. He said, but now it's somebody else. He said, but then I stepped back and said, you know what? If I hadn't been willing to share, I would have never experienced a championship. Now, Village Church, there's no doubt in my mind that people are desperate to have victory. People are desperate to win. And if it's going to happen, if they're going to win, ultimately, it's going to come down to people like us, our church, being willing to give of ourselves to the people around us that they might know what victory in Christ means. And it doesn't take much. It doesn't take much to stand out from the rest of the world. I mean, today, if you look at the world, it's so self-centered. I mean, we have jihadists that are cutting people's heads off because they don't agree with them. Uh, we have people that are willing to step all over other people so that they can climb up the success ladder regardless of all the junk they leave in their wake. So it wouldn't take a whole lot for us to stand out from the crowd. You see, if we want people to know and discover God, if we want people to be changed by the power of the message of Jesus, then it begins with us being willing to serve and to see other people as more important than ourselves so that we can see them be touched by Jesus just like we've been touched by Jesus. Now, practically speaking, well, what are some things that we can do to make that happen? I think one of the biggest things that I automatically think of, and for my personal life, is look past, look past wrongs. You know, for, forget about the petty insults that you've experienced in your life. In other words, practice forgiveness. Because, guys, whenever we hang on to past hurts and insults, Man, we, we become a barrier to people seeing Jesus. Serve others. Be willing to serve. You know, sometimes it's not fun to serve. I mean, there's some, I mean, a lot of times I'd rather be doing something else. But you know, one of the things that's neat about this church is so many of you have been willing to serve over the years. You know, I look at, I, I, when i Friday night football games, you go to a high school football game, the only thing you have to do is look on the sidelines and you'll see a group of guys holding first down markers and they're all from Village Church because they're serving the community. Uh, Just last week, or maybe it was the week before, at Bethel-Hanbury Elementary School, at 6.45 in the morning, there's a group of men and women from our church who were serving donuts to mom and dads who were driving up to school. Uh, Every year in the spring, I get to see a group of men and women who go down to Haiti to serve and to work and to help build up a community down there. I Guys, I, it's become a part of your DNA to serve other people. But if we are going to be a church that is one and that is united and that will make a difference, is we have to be unified in our love. But we also have to be unified in our motivation. You know, why we do things. What is the motivation for us as a church? Well, look in verse number 3. Paul said, Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Now, it's interesting to me that we can have the same goals, but we can have different motivations as to why we are doing some things. Uh, just an example that I thought of as I was, as drive down Rhymer Pond Road and I come, come to church, I come to the office, a lot of times I'll see these people who are, who are wearing these like tight spandex, bright yellow shirts, or you know, these really tight shorts, and they have these aerodynamic helmets on. You all know the people? and they're on bikes, and they're riding. Now, a lot of time, and this is the Fulmers, and so a lot of times these people are doing this, and what they're trying to do is, uh, in, in general, there's a few different motivations they have. One is they're, they're trying to just be healthy. Uh, another motivation is there's some people that are actually preparing for races, and then the third reason is there's people out there, and they're trying to do whatever they can to disrupt traffic, okay? And so there's some different motivations that people have when they're out riding those bikes, But the question I have is this, does it really matter what motivates us? You know, does it matter what motivates this church, even if we're doing good things? And it's interesting to me, because by nature, I would say, I don't care what your motivation is, just as long as it's producing something good. But did you know that it does matter what our motivations are? I mean, we know this from personal experience, I mean, I, I know in my own life, there's been times when I've done things really sweet and kind for my wife. I'll get her flowers. I'll take her out to eat. I will, hey, let's go shopping. Oh, and I'll do those things. But a lot of times, it's because there's an ulterior motive underneath all of it. And a lot of times, that ulterior motive is, well, I'm, would you care if I go fishing with a group of guys for seven weeks, you know, stuff like that. And so now, is she going to be impressed with all the nice things that I've done if that is my ultimate motivation? Well, it, you know, it sort of takes the shine off of all those things when that is my motivation. It's why Paul said in our verse, he said not to be serving and doing with the motivation of serving and doing with your own interest in mind. See, God isn't interested. In what we're doing he's interested in why we're doing it now he is interested in what we're doing but he's more interested in why we're doing what we're doing he's interested in your motives Hebrews 4 12 says for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit joints and marrow it's able to judge the ideas and thoughts or the motivations of the heart Now, why does God care about what our motivations are? Because your motivations speak as to what's in your heart. Your motivations show what kind of spiritual health that you are in. Our motivation is is found in chapter 227 where Paul wrote, he said, just one thing. He said, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus. Why, Why does that matter? Because everything that you and I have, Everything that you and I have to look forward to has come from God. It's only through Jesus that we are able to connect with God. It's through Jesus that I'm able to experience forgiveness. It's through Jesus that I'm able to experience eternal life. But sometimes we think that we've earned it for ourselves. That's why verse 3 is a great warning for us. If you look in verse uh, verse 3, Paul tells us that we are not to do things out of conceit. That word actually means, the word conceit, it means empty glory means empty. And I, I just I pictured a hot air balloon. You know, if you have a hot air balloon, you know, it's big, it's impressive, but what's inside of it? You nothing. A bunch of, you know, a bunch of hot air, right? And what happens if you, just, if you just prick the skin of that hot air balloon? It's just gonna blow up. And it's gone. And it's gonna come crashing down to the ground. Now, I can promise you this. this if you live for yourself, if your motivations are just simply you and what you get... Ultimately, it will leave you empty. And you're going to come crashing down. Paul said you're to think of others as more important than yourself. Now, that doesn't mean that you're to think less of yourself. It means that you are to put others before yourself. And that's the calling of our church. We're here. We're not here for us. We're here to worship God. We are here to that others might come to know him. Like, we've had the opportunity to know him. Leonard Bernstein, who was the conductor for the New York Philharmonic, was asked a very simple question. The question was, what is the hardest instrument to play in this orchestra? You know what he said? Without hesitation, he said, second fiddle. He said, everybody wants to play first fiddle. He said, but I need somebody to play second fiddle with dedication. He said, without second fiddle, there's absolutely no harmony. Guys, if we want harmony in our homes and in our marriages, if we want harmony in the church, you know what that means for us? We have to play second fiddle. And understand that not everything in this world, and this is hard for me to grasp sometimes, not everything in this world is about me. Not everything in this world is for me. I need to learn how to play second fiddle so that there can be harmony and that other people's lives can be changed. You know, we are here We are here to honor God. We are here for others. So so what do we need to look at today? Where do we need to be unified? We need to be unified in our love. We need to be unified in our motivation. And the last one's pretty simple. We just simply need to be unified in our actions. We need to work together as a church, as believers. Uh, Look with me in verse 4. It's the last verse I'll read. It said, Everyone should look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. I saw a statistic that said that 83% of Americans identify themselves as being believers. Now, I'm a little bit skeptical of, of some things, and so I always say, well, the proof is in the pudding. I mean, the greatest indicator of who you are and what you really believe can be quickly assessed and determined by the actions in your life, right? I mean, you might say you believe one thing. The only thing you have to do is say, well, what does he do to back that up? And so we all know that. The, the proof in the pudding is going to come down to your actions. Now, if you want to see what is in your heart, and if I want to see what's in my heart, you know, ask a real simple question. What do I do? You know, what are my, what are my actions in life? And a, a, just a simple question for us today that you can think about is this. How, how do you treat others? How do you treat others? Now, I'm not asking you, what you th- how you think you ought to treat others. I'm asking you, how do you actually treat others? And I'm, I have to ask myself this exact same question. You see, Paul said that we are to look out not just for ourselves. He said you are to look out for others as well. And that word to look or to look out, here's what it means. It means to pay careful attention to, to examine closely, to notice Now, if you are, you know, if you collect stamps or cards, um, if you have young children and they are sick, you know what it means to look out for them. You know what it means to look closely at them. Paul said we are to look at others with that kind of scrutiny as well. We are to look out, to watch out for others, to see how we can be a blessing to them. Now, like I said, there's nothing wrong with looking out for your own personal interest. But if that's all you're looking out for, you need to learn how to broaden your vision. Because life's not just about you. Now, Jesus made this very clear when he said in Matthew 22, 37 through 40, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. So this is the greatest, the first and greatest commandment. He said, the second's like it, love your neighbor as yourself. all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. I think a lot of us, we, we know that verse, but can you imagine what would happen if we lived that verse? Man, I can quote stuff real easy, but living it, a little bit harder. Can you imagine how different our world, our, our neighborhood, our families would be if we actually did that? We, we'd have joy. Man, there, is, there is great Joy that comes with serving people—great joy. A few years ago, and I think I don't—it I, might still be on TV. I don't know. Y'all know this—the uh, this show was an Extreme Makeover Home Edition. Okay, we used to watch that show. It's one of those shows you could watch, and you felt pretty good about watching it. And you know, there'd be somebody like in the community who. They, be, they were either really good people, served other people, but their house was in need of repair, or they were people that were, that were just going through hard times. And so the show would go into the community. The community would all get together, and they would, they would figure out how they are going to be able to work on the home when the family went out of town and finished like this huge construction project within seven days. And so I, I know that y'all are. Most of you know the stories about how this stuff works, but you know. So they they would leave town. They'd come in. Everybody be unified. Everybody be working together. And then in seven days the family would come back. You remember that big bus would be right in front of the house. I mean, that's my favorite part of the show. Remember what the crowd would chant? Move that bus. You know. And then they'd move the bus out of the way. And you remember the families? As soon as they said that, they just start crying. You know. They start. You know. They start weeping. They're excited. It's beautiful. But here's my favorite part. Wasn't watching the families. I, mean, I thought that was cool. But I thought what was neat was watching the people in the crowd. The people who worked on the house. Because they were excited. I never watched that show, and they never panned out and saw, showed some guy there going, that looks like garbage. Never showed some guy saying, that should have been me. They should be working on my house, not theirs. The, the people who worked on the house, they had joy. They were excited. They couldn't wait for the family to see what they had done. Now, can you imagine what it would be like if our church, if believers, looked at the world like that? Saying, so, you know, it's, it's not about me, but we said, can you imagine we got together and we, and we serve our community, we serve our schools, we serve our neighbors, we pray for our neighbors, and we work together. Can you imagine how different everything would be? yes there'd be excitement there'd be joy there would be fulfillment knowing that we weren't making short-term investments but instead we would know that we were allowing God to work in us and through us i i believe i believe god has put this church here to make a difference and if we're going to make a true difference as we have to be united we have to work together with the same goals and purposes in mind. Now, now, what are some areas we need to be united in? We're to be united in our love. We're to be united in our motivation. We're to be united in our actions. You know, I don't want us to be a group of people who just pay lip service to everything. Oh, yeah, I believe that, but we don't do anything. I mean, I see that all the time. I see that just about you know, you any job. You know, we're in we're in election season right now. And I see, I see people who are running for office, and I thank God for them, we need them, but I see some people who are running for office, and they say, they say stuff they don't even believe. I'm pro-family, I love the family, but I support death and abortion. You know, I, I, I believe in, in, uh, in, in, in God being an influence in my life, but let's, let's make sure that we keep all that stuff private. And that stuff drives me absolutely insane. I don't get it. But you know, who doesn't need to be like that as well? It's the church. It's believers, we can't say one thing on Sunday and live like we want to Monday through Saturday. We have been put here to make a difference. And I believe this, I believe that this church and believers will be powerful as we act and work together as one. Because we will do more as we work together than if we try to do things simply by ourselves. And so that message that comes from Scripture, that excites me. That we are in this thing together and we are fueled by the power of a God who has power over life and death.